Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning or this afternoon. We just pray that your Holy Spirit be here with us. As I shared, may it be your words and not mine. And I just thank you for the message of Adventist education. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before I get started with um, what I was going to talk to you, I was going to share with you a little bit about myself so that you can understand where I'm coming from. Um, I was raised in a Catholic home. I have, my parents are Catholic. I'm the oldest of four children. I have three younger brothers than myself. And then growing up, um, church was very, very important to my family. We would go to church every Sunday. Even if we were on vacation, my parents would um, find a church and we never missed. The only time we would miss is if somebody was sick and then one parent would stay home with that child and the other children and the other parent would go to church. So, so if you were sick, you're going to be really sick because you'd be in bed all day. And we didn't like that. We liked to play outside and do things outside. So I, I wasn't from a real rich family, probably lower middle income. So we had a kind of a small house. So it was kind of fun to be outside because when you're inside, you were very close together. One thing I noticed, um, when I was probably in about fifth grade, um, I started eating at my friend's house for dinner. And my parents always had prayer at dinner time. And I went to my friend's house, and their parents didn't. And you know, they were Catholics also. And, but my parents were very, um, very concerned about that. So we always had prayer. They still do. And then when we were younger, we always knelt around my parents' bed at nighttime, and we always had prayer. So I didn't even think anything about that until I started visiting other friends' homes, and their parents didn't do that. So even though I was raised Catholic, um, religion was important to my family, and I also went to um, catechism. I was educated in the public schools. I went to school you know, in kindergarten. I think I was only four all the way through college, public schools. Um, I could tell you lots of stories that happened to me there. Um, didn't even know what a Seventh-day Adventist was during um, my schooling. When I came home my junior year, finishing my junior year, I went to school at Central Michigan, just up there in Mount Pleasant. I came home and my brother that's just younger than myself, he told me that they were hiring at Fisher Body. Come on in. <laughs> at Fisher Body that I should um, apply for a position. It was, um, so I thought, you know, coming home from school, I needed a little vacation before I went to apply. So finally I went and I applied. And the gentleman in HR said, you know, if you would have been here yesterday, I would have had a job for you. But anyway, so I went home, about a 20 minute ride. I got home and he called me up and he said, I have a job for you show up on Monday and you have a position. So it was my desire. My plan was to work there during the summertime and then go back and finish my senior year at Central Michigan. So it came August and they invited me up to personnel and they asked me if I would stay. So I thought, well, looking at jobs in the public school back then, it was really hard to get a position. And I thought, well, I could work a year I could make some money and I'd finish my education, go back. So that was my plan. But during that year, I met Mark. <laughs> he was, um, after I became, after August, I became a supervisor. So I was working in a plant in Fisher Body in Livonia where they made um, door trim for um, 
for um, GM cars. And so when um, I was working there, I was like 21 years old, so I was a supervisor. I had a group of 25 people or more at times. I got all the people that nobody wanted, <laughs> that they gave them all to me. And these people, I mean, there's people who had been working there for 25 years or longer, and here I am, young, and I don't even know what's going on. But I learned really quickly that it was like teaching school, and if you give the people the tools, what they need to do their job, they do it really good. So I had all these people that nobody wanted working in my group, and then we ended up, in a short time, having one of the best cost-productive groups in the whole plant. And so then the, um, the plant manager noticed. So anyway, I ended up staying a little bit longer. And when I met Mark, because um, it was during the energy crisis, and I um, left my exhaust fans on, and he reported me. <laughs> and so anyway, we became friends, because then he showed me where they were, and then he started helping me out in little ways. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so then my year planning to go back to school, I didn't go back right away, and before long we were going to get married. And so then I realized that um, if I wanted to finish my education, I needed to go back. So during that time, I took some classes at the community college, so now I only needed one semester to graduate. So I went back, I took an educational leave from General Motors, um, graduated in May, and we got married in July. So even though I was raised going to church, we got married. Mark was Presbyterian, and I was Catholic, and my parents always said, you know, you need to marry a Catholic. His parents said, marry anybody but a Catholic. <laughs> so, so anyway, we went through the marriage counseling, and then the, um, the priest that was going to marry us, he had a drinking problem, so kind of through the process, um, he, had, he got sent out to get dried out. So then we got another priest, and then one thing that he said to us is if we got married at 5 o'clock or later on a Saturday, that it would count to, for going to church on Sunday. And, you know, my parents and um, being Catholics, I thought, oh, okay, we could do this and it would be a good thing. But I started thinking, you know, it planted a seed in my head, in my mind. Why did he say that? But I didn't do anything about it right away. But it was a seed planted. So then um, Mark and I got married. And then um, we didn't go to church. We just stopped going to any church. And then Mark liked to watch TV on Sunday morning, and he started watching It Is Written. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we watched this for a week after week. He said, you know, you really, yeah, this is a long time ago, it's showing us our age. So then um, he brought it to my attention. We started watching it week after week. So finally, we looked and said, who's putting on this program? So we watched the credits really carefully and it's put on by the Seventh-day Adventists. We didn't know what Seventh-day Adventists were, but we decided we'd go to church the next week. So we got all dressed up. I'm sure my dress was a little bit too short, had my earrings in, had my big diamond ring on, went to church on Sunday, <laughs> showed up, and we we're kind of perplexed. There's only one car in the parking lot. <laughs> and it happened to be a gentleman at the Ann Arbor School, and he was working on their school. So he came out and he told us that um, they go to church on Saturday. <laughs> so we never even put Seventh-day Adventist or Seventh-day as, as the Seventh-day as being Sabbath. So our first time at the Seventh-day Adventist church was on a Sunday and there was no service. <laughs> 
So he, we came back. He told us when they met. So we came back the next Sabbath, and then we started going to church, and then we moved during the process. And then George Vandeman had a um, seminar downtown in Detroit. I think it was at the Renaissance Center. It's amazing how the, how the devil works. It was a really, it's a one-day seminar. It snowed really bad that day. It must have been in November. I mean, it was terrible. But we went, and then um, we met Clyde Thomas. We had moved, so now we're closer to the Farmington Hills Church, so we started going there. We did some Bible studies. They had an evangelistic series, and we got um, baptized May of 1980, so it's been a long time. Anyway, after being um, baptized, you know, it was like God had to re-educate me. I had learned so many untruths, and I didn't realize it, you know, growing up, but starting to go to church was amazing. I had to relearn all these things, and God re-educated me in many different ways, but it was really, um, by two years later, we had our children, so I started going to Cradle Row, and what's next, kindergarten and primary. And then eventually we had three children, so I went to Adelphine Junior Academy where Jeremy went to school. Mm -hmm. I remember him, he used to have long hair mm -hmm. <laughs> at one point. And so little by little, God has re-educated me, and it's just like after becoming a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, I wouldn't go back. I believe totally in Adventist education. And so it's, I'll share that with you in just a few minutes. One other thing, becoming a Seventh-day Adventist and being raised a Catholic, the biggest hurdle that I had to overcome was the spirit of prophecy in Ellen White. And it's like, who is this lady? What does she mean? And all that. So I had to really work through that. But today, and as you see, I have many quotes from her. I'm probably one of her biggest promoters. Um, I find her counsel, even though it's been written a long time ago, it's very, um, very accurate for today. So that's just a little bit about myself so you can understand where I'm coming from. Um, another, up here, if you notice, I have our seminars. So today is the core of Adventist education is not common. Tomorrow and Wednesday, Jeremy's going to be doing the three-legged stool. On Thursday, we have School Success by Judy Scholl. She'll be um, helping, especially parents, help their children be successful in our schools. And then on Friday, there's a question and answer. So there'll be a panel. We'll have somebody from a one-room school, somebody from a large school, a medium-sized school. So if you have questions, we're here to answer them for you. So as you look at this, you see this heart here. What do you see in the center of the heart? The cross. And what does the cross represent? Yeah, Jesus Christ. So with Jesus Christ as the core of Adventist education, it is anything but common. With Adventist education, we're not only concerned about preparing our students for today, but we're concerned about life eternal. And one of the objectives of Adventist education is, is to prepare our students to be productive citizens with integrity in a society where they're bombarded with false teachings. So everywhere you turn these days, I can be driving down the highway and I see these billboards. And then I could be at the checkout counter at Walmart's or the grocery store and I see all these advertisements. And then I walk in the mall and some of the displays, oh, some of them are really disgusting. 
Then I think I'm going to do something really positive. I'm going to take my kids out to the state park or the national park, and it's we're out in nature, and you stop and read the signs, and what are you reading? Evolution. Evolution. And then we have the internet, we have movies, we have social um, media. So all these sights and sounds, they're undermining spirituality. But with this in mind, we, at, with Adventist education, we have several teachers in here, we're intentional about upbringing our children. We want to help you with bringing, up, bringing them up so they can be productive citizens in um, our world today and also prepare them for life eternal. Well, the last couple of years, a lot of people have been coming up to me, and I'm probably Jeremy too. They're asking this question. Are, Advent, are our Adventist schools teaching the Common Core? <laughs> the truth be known, we have Common Core printed right on the cover of our math books. But that's not the reason for us um, using them. In, Ellen, in education on page 17, it reads, it is the work of true education to develop the power to train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. So the education in the North American Division, they had a committee of um, math teachers, and they reviewed all the current math books. And they looked at them, and keeping in mind the philosophy of Adventist education, they chose to go with the Go Math and Big Ideas. And so you have Go Math for grades 1 through 5, and then you have Big Ideas Math for grades 6, 7, and 8. And the reason for it is because we're teaching our kids to be thinkers. We don't want them to be reflectors of other men's thoughts. It's very different from the way I learned math and maybe the way many of you did. So, but that's the reason behind it. So my next question is, so what is the Common Core? I read this article. It was found in the National Review. Um, it's from April of 2013. It was called The Truth About the Common Core. And what the Common Core in this article says is that it delineates um, what children should know in math and science at each grade level and describes the skills that they must acquire to stay on course for career readiness. So what they did, this group of people who did, came up with the Common Core, they started like with 12th grade, and they worked their way down coming up with the standards. One thing that it is not is it's not a curriculum. But what it does, it's an effort across states to align standards and assessments. But one thing about the Adventist education, we've, we're way ahead because we're, we're across the states. It doesn't matter if you're in Michigan and you move to California or Florida or Tennessee, we're all using the same curriculum. So the Common Core is trying to probably catch up to what we're doing already because we can move around if you're in the Adventist school system and you don't have to worry about that. It's going to be the same textbooks wherever you're at. What the Common Core does, it demands um, memorization of base familiarity with the basic math facts, mastery of um, standard logarithms and understanding of critical arithmetic. It also encourages um, increased exposure to informational texts and literary nonfiction. So now we're going to look at the core of the Adventist education curriculum. And it's, it's defined by our Adventist worldview, and it includes four overlapping stages. 
So we have the purpose, the plan, the practice, and the product. And we'll be going over those in just a minute. First, we're going to define what a worldview is. A worldview serves as a conceptual tool or framework for perceiving and interpreting reality, which in turn informs the philosophy, mission, vision, and goals of an organization. So now we're going to look at the Adventist worldview. The Adventist worldview accepts the Bible as the standard which everything else is measured. There's four key concepts emerged from this biblical worldview, and they're used as the lens for the Adventist curriculum. So if you look at the lens there, the four parts, you have creation, you have the fall, you have redemption, and recreation. So when you look at the Adventist curriculum, and on your paper, on your sheet, or on your seat, you found a paper like this, so the Adventist curriculum, teachers um, have these standards. They See, this one's English. They have them for all these different subjects. The one that I printed for you is geometry because it's easy. to. It's all on one page. But teachers receive something that looks like this. And on it, so they have a lot to read. They do this for every subject. But as you notice, as you look at your sheet, on the left-hand side, it'll have the, um, the grade levels. And you'll notice that in the um, peach-colored band, you have kindergarten through second grade, and then you have the blue color. It's three through five, and then purple, you got six through eight. And this is just for geometry. So then it tells you the grade. Next to the grade, it's going to tell you the content. So if I look in fourth grade, what content will be covered in fourth grade? Who can tell me? What is it? Lines and angles. So that's the content in fourth grade in geometry. This is just one section because there's other sections of math that will be covered. But in geometry, they're going to be covering lines and angles. And then next to it, it's going to be skills. And it's going to tell us what skills need to be covered. And then on the far um, right, it's going to tell us what chapter. So we know in our books that grades 1 through 5 are using Go Math. And so in fourth grade, to cover lines and angles, who can tell me which chapter would be covered? Besides Kalisha. Who can tell me what? If you look way over here, what chapter would have to be covered? <laughs> chapter 10. So in... Um, Go math, chapter 10 is going to be covered, and then it's going to tell me lesson 1, lesson 3, and then um, for the next standard, it's going to be lesson 2, lesson 4, lesson 5, and lesson 6. So to cover lines and angles, you're going to have to cover um, chapter 10, and it's going to be lessons 1 through 6. So now each of our lessons, you're going to have the essential question and the big idea. So if I look at the essential question for grades 6, 7, and 8, who can tell me what the essential question is for 6, 7, and 8? Anybody find it? How does the study of geometrical principles help us to better understand God's creation? That's right. And, and this is the Adventist. As the teachers are looking at the curriculum, this is gonna, they're going to be pointing this out. And then the big idea. Carrie, what's the big idea? Study the geometrical principles 
results in a greater understanding of the complexity of God's creation. That's right. So this is, this is making the Adventist curriculum so different than the public school because they're not going to have that in the public school. And then at the bottom of each grade band, it's going to talk about assessments. How are our students going to be assessed? So who can tell me how are our students going to be assessed in grades 6, 7, and 8? Anybody see that? Daniel. They'll use uh, open-ended projects and problems, written assessments, journal entries, class discussions, oral reports, and visual and virtual models. Thank you. So the standards and skills, which is like down in the center here, are what students should know and be able to do, and it's going to serve as our framework for curriculum development. And then we have our internal North American Division um, curriculum map, reflects our worldview, and that's you're going to find that in the essential question and the big ideas. And then the external standards are reflected in the center here with the national and state standards. Now we're going to look at instruction. So at the top, I don't know if you can read it, there's a quote from Ellen White. It's from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 3, on page 131. It says, the greatest care should be taken in the education of the youth to so vary the manner of instruction as to call forth the high and noble powers of the mind. So as we know, learners progress in many different ways. So there's a natural, brain-friendly cycle of learning that suge um, suggests that learners learn best when they can connect. So right in number one, you have connect. And if you see the creation, that's one of the lenses that we're going to be looking through um, that area, and it's connect. So if a student can connect to his personal experience, it's going to help them learn. So then you see number two, explain. What do learners need to know, and how can they find out? And then we're looking through that biblical worldview lens of fall, the fall. And number three is apply. How can our learners apply what they learn? And then we're looking through that biblical lens of redemption. And number four, we have extend. How can our learners share what they've learned? And then we're looking through the lens of recreation. This model promotes teaching methods that meets the needs of individual learners and ensures whole person learning. And it's all within the world, Adventist worldview. So next we're going to look at assessments. And once again we have this assessment cycle. And then number one you have the pre-assessment. You know that's like what does the student know before they go into this lesson. Then we have the formative concept-based assessment. What evidence is going to be collected to demonstrate that the learners understand the um, concept? And number three, you got the formative skill-based assessment, which is what evidence is going to be collected to demonstrate that the learners can apply this new skill? And number four, the summative assessment. What standard-based assessments are used to measure the learner's achievement? So you have this balanced um, cycle. So in the beginning, you, you see what they know. And then at the end, you see what they learn so you can um, determine the difference. So you should see some growth there. And then you have the assessment um, 
Is it hard to Just see? Okay. Then you have the formative concept-based assessment and the formative skill-based assessment, and the use of um, uses a variety of ways for the learner to demonstrate their learning. And these four stages of assessment assist learners to develop self-assessment skills that enable them to assess their own learning, set specific goals, and plan the next steps in their learning. So now we're going to take a quick look at the philosophy of um, Adventist education is to recognize God as the ultimate source of existence, truth, and power. In the beginning, God created in his image a perfect humanity, a man and woman. They were perfect, a perfection that was later marred by sin. The distinctive characteristics of this Adventist worldview is built around creation, the fall, redemption, and recreation. And you saw that as the lenses that we're looking through. And they're all derived from the Bible and the inspired writings of Ellen G. White. The aim of true education is to restore human beings to the image of God as revealed by the life of Jesus Christ. Now, education of this kind imparts far more than academic knowledge. It fosters a balanced development of the whole person. So we have the spiritual, the physical, the intellectual, and the social-emotional. Now, as we look at the mission of Adventist education, it's to enable learners to develop a life of faith in God and to use their knowledge, skills, and understanding to serve God and humanity. And if, I, if you could see in this picture, there's pictures of um, students from Battle Creek, and they're distributing water to the people in Flint where they had that water crisis. The vision of Adventist education is for every learner to excel in faith, learning, service, and their blending biblical truth and academic achievement to honor God and to bless others. And then we have students working at a food bank, and they're, they look very happy. The Adventist core curriculum goals are for the learners so that they will choose to accept God as the creator and the redeemer. Learners will grow in their knowledge and understanding of God's creation. Learners will apply their spiritual, physical, and intellectual, social, and emotional knowledge. Learners will demonstrate their commitment to their creator through service to others. Then we have the Adventist worldview. The Adventist worldview accepts the Bible as the standard by which everything else is measured. And that's what makes our education so much better than the public school. The four key concepts emerge from a biblical worldview that can be used as a lens for Adventist um, curriculum development. And once again, we've talked about these. that have creation, fall, redemption, and recreation. Now I'm going to share with you, after I talked about all this different philosophy, is what I have found through the years studying Adventist education. I found in this one Bible promise right here. I'm sure all of you know it. Proverbs 22, verse 6. says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So what does that mean? How are we going to do that? I've been studying that because that's 
on my heart. I want to do it so I do it right. So I found in Child Guidance this quote. It says, to perform this work aright, parents and teachers must themselves understand the way the child should go. So it's not the way I think they should go, but the way the child should go. And this embraces more than a knowledge of books or the learning of schools. It comprehends the practice of temperance, brotherly kindness, godliness, and the discharge of our duty to ourselves, our neighbors, and to God. So I ask myself, does our society and do our public schools teach these principles? And if they don't, you know, I'm so easily convinced, or if I'm around things, what I behold, I become. So it's so important where I'm at. So if, I'm, if I behold things and that's what I'm going to become, I know my kids, they're that much more impressionable. So what they behold, they're going to become. I have a teacher friend who taught in the Adventist school system for years till her husband was transferred to a new church, where then she decided that she would sub in the public school for a while, and this is what she shared. She said the lesson plans were really well done. The schools had the latest in technology. The schools were really big compared to ours. When you walk in, oh, they were big. But it, you have to look closer than the size. In the English class where she was subbing, the students were reading books on spiritualism, magic, wizards, witchcraft, fantasy, and monsters. One day in a fifth grade class, the first 30 minutes of the time when we would have devotions and prayers in our classrooms in our Adventist schools, she said that the kids were watching a YouTube video of human-looking-like characters doing sensual, provocative, inappropriate moves with rock music in the background, and then the students were copying the moves. And this went on for the first 30 minutes in a fifth grade classroom in the public school. In PE class, they were exercising to rock and rap music, and the music had words in it that we would never, ever allow in our schools, besides the music itself. And of course, you would guess that science was evolution-based. In band, um, they watched uh, another video and, and danced to it. Each day started with a, and ended without prayer, so very different from our schools. The sad fact is that only 30% of our students are in our schools. That means 70% of Adventist students are either in public school or they're being homeschooled or they're in another non-Christian non Seventh-day Adventist school. So that means 7 out of 10 of our Adventist kids are not being taught in our schools. Each morning, teachers come to school, and they have prayers and devotions, and you two, three, well, you two, you have a two-teacher school. Um, they come and they have prayers and devotions, and then if you're in a multi-grade school, they would have them together. And then with their students, when they come in, you have prayer and devotions with them. And so when problems arise, and they do in all schools, little things happen, the teacher and the student, they can pray together. They can go to God for counsel, asking for God's guidance. After becoming a Seventh-day Adventist, after being educated in the whole public school system, I decided I never wanted to teach in it after I learned about the Adventists because I would feel like my hands were being tied and I couldn't bring my students to the source of true wisdom. 
I couldn't legally stop and have prayer for them. I may be able to pray for them, but I couldn't really pray with them. I could model it without ever explaining it. In Child Guidance on page 549, it reads, Every family is a church over which the parents preside. The first consideration of the parents should be for the work of the salvation of their children. So that should be their first work. When the father and the mother, as priest and teacher of the family, take their position fully on the side of Christ, a good influence will be exerted in the home, and this sanctified influence will be felt in the church and will be recognized by every believer. But because of the great lack of piety and sanctification in the home, the work of God is greatly hindered. No man can bring into the church an influence he doesn't exert in his home life and in his business relations. And then in Child Guidance on page 38, it says, To parents is committed the great work of educating and training their children for their future immortal life. So when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, we include our children in our prayers, how can we consent for our children to be placed where we know they're going to meet unnecessary temptations? How can we send them to schools where we know they're going to be exposed to evil influences and expect God to honor our prayers? God can't honor a presumptuous prayer. He expects us to do our part first. Many parents seem to think that if, as long as they feed and clothe their little ones and they educate them according to the standards of the state, they've done their parental duty. But have they? In Fundamentals of Christian Education, it reads, Upon fathers and mothers devolve the responsibility of giving a Christian education. And when you go to the public school, you're not getting a Christian education. So you're, the responsibility is to give a Christian education to the children entrusted to them, and they're not to allow their children to slip out of their grasp into the hands of unbelievers. In the schools of today, which include both non-Seventh-day um, non Adventist Christian schools and public schools, many things are taught that are a hindrance rather than a blessing. And those who seek the education that the world esteems so highly, they're gradually led farther and farther from the principles of truth, and they become educated worldlings. And, oops, am I one ahead? Nope. So then I found in the Bible, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Isn't that a scary thought? You're always learning, but never learning the truth. Here's a true story of regret. A pastor visited a former member. The member had a beautiful home, lived in an exclusive neighborhood. He drove a new expensive car. The former member had two lovely children. Could life be any better for this man? Well, the pastor and the man, they sat and they conversed for a while. He told the, man, told the pastor about his successful business and his plans for expansion. And later in the conversation, the pastor inquired about his kids. The man paused, took a long, deep breath, and started, tears started coming down his cheeks. He revealed to the man, or to the pastor, what he considered his only regret in life. He said, I, if I had to live my life over again, I wouldn't make this mistake again. He, go, he said, I took my children out of the church school. I sent them to a school that I thought had higher academic standards. 
With my daughter, she seemed, I thought she needed a school with more adequate facilities. And at first, it seemed like I made the right decision, but I have lived to regret it. He said his daughter came home from school the other day and said she wasn't going back to church. She said church was boring and it was irrelevant and she no longer believed in this Adventist stuff. Man was now sobbing. He said, my family is no longer the same. We no longer have family worship together. We don't go to church together and we don't pray together. I wished I would have never taken my children out of the Adventist schools. I read this story, but I was at a church recently and after um, I gave, I did the sermon, a man came up to me and he said he had his daughter in our schools through eighth grade. And he said in ninth grade, he sent her to the public school. The same thing happened to his daughter. He said it was a big mistake. He said um, she no longer goes to church. She no longer wants to be part of the family when they have prayers or worship. She said, he said, you know, at first it seemed okay, but little by little, she was pulled away. Like the man in the story, many parents place emphasis on high-tech equipment and smart classrooms. But we must remember what is fed to the mind of the student is far more important than high-tech equipment. If the emphasis is, is on academic excellence only, then I can understand how some parents would believe that more facilities would mean a better education. However, if education is, as Mrs. White states, the harmonious development of the mental, physical, and spiritual powers, then more facilities without spiritual guidance doesn't translate into a better education. Then in education on page, whoops, I skipped a part. So right here in Psalms 127, verse 1, it says, Except the Lord build the house or the school, they labor in vain that build it. Then in education on page 83, it says, what could be worse than folly is to seek an education apart from Christ, to seek to be wise apart from wisdom, to be true while rejecting truth, to seek illumination apart from light, and existence without the life. So what about us church members? What is our responsibility to the children in our church? When parents bring their little ones to church to be dedicated, to be raised for Christ, don't we raise our hand and agree to help? I know I do. So I have to ask ourselves, is providing them with Sabbath school and church, a church service once a week enough? Maybe I bring them to adventures or um, pathfinders. Is that enough? Well, then I counted up how many hours there are in the week. There's 168 hours, so maybe four hours a week. Is that enough time of... Adventist Christian education. So we have to ask ourselves, what are they being taught those remaining hours? I know they sleep some. Who are they spending their time with? What are they learning? Are they having morning and evening worship? Are they being taught about God's law? Did you know with children you can't have quality time without quantity time? Those teachable moments just don't happen at the same time each day. In Child Guidance on page 332, Ellen White states that the church is asleep and doesn't realize the magnitude of this matter of educating our children and youth. All our children should be permitted to have the blessings and privileges of an education in our schools that they may be inspired to become laborers together with God. So it's all our children should be able to have that privilege. Many of our children, financially, it's a hard time 
And I know as um, our children are no longer in school and we have um, decided that we would help others. It's kind of like once your kids get older and they, they're graduated and they're out of your house, kind of like you get a pay raise. So then you get to <laughs> help other people with their children. And I think that's what God wants us to do. All our children need an education that they may be fitted for usefulness, qualified for places of responsibility in both public and private life. The fact is, is that the average age of the church members in North America is growing older. So we have to say, who's going to be taking over our jobs and responsibilities? Well, then I realized that our church was started by a group of young people, and the work is probably going to be finished by a group of young people. So we need to empower them because they're going to be taking over our jobs. They have the strength. They have the enthusiasm. They have the energy. So we need to give the youth more responsibility. So when they're willing and ready, we need to let them. We can't wait until I'm ready or you're ready. <laughs> or we might lose them. We're to be looking for those teachable moments being ready to act upon them. Seventh-day Adventist schools were established in accordance with God's divine plan. This educational system has three major components, the home, the church, and the school, and Jeremy's going to be talking about that tomorrow and the next day. Ideally, they all work together to raise our children for Christ. And additionally, our Adventist teachers are committed to helping parents with this sacred responsibility. If any one of the components is missing, the home, the church, or the school, the child is handicapped, and his chances of choosing to be a lifetime Adventist is significantly decreased. When one leg of the spiritual platform is compromised, suddenly worldly influences come in that undermine spirituality. The Bible gives abundant counsel concerning the training and the educating of our children. God also used our attention, brought our attention to the importance of establishing the global school system that our church operates today. In Child Guidance on page um, 307, it reads, In localities where believers are few, let two or three churches unite in erecting a humble building for a church school. So here's a, um, the Tri-City School, and they are a constituency. They have Saginaw, Midland, and St. Charles. They have come together to support the children in that area. Adventist schools tend to have humble buildings as compared to many of our public schools where they have the latest bells and whistles, where they have swimming pools. They have the latest in technology. They have tennis courts. They, got, they have um, tracks outside. They have really big gymnasiums. Some of our schools don't have them at all. But the most important thing they're missing, they don't have Christ as the core of their curriculum. You know, God is working in these humble buildings where the students receive a spiritual as well as an academic foundation. Our Michigan Conference Iowa Assessment Test testify of academic excellence. The Iowa test is a test that's given to students across the nation at public, charter, and private schools. And our national percentile ranking is higher than the national average. And I praise God for those results. 30,000 students 
across the nation in grades 3 through 9 and 11 were part of a four-year cognitive study. The results are astounding. According to the standardized achievement test, students enrolled in Adventist schools score on average a full half a grade higher than the national average and a half a grade higher than their predicted ability. The study also found that the longer that the student is enrolled in an Adventist school, the better are their scores. So what that means, if we had a student who just came in in seventh grade this year, and we had a student who had been there from grades one through seven, the one who had been there the longest will tend to have better scores. But the good news is, the one who just came in seventh grade, if he stays eighth, ninth, and tenth, and continues in our school system, he'll continue to do better and better. This Adventist advantage is being recognized by secular institutions. The Science Christian Monitor, which is a non-Adventist international news organization, printed an article on the Adventist advantage. And it reads, For real education reform, take a cue from the Adventist. Amid all the buzz on education reform, the Seventh-day Adventist school system might seem an unexpected place to look for models in improving student achievement. But by educating the mind, the body, and spirit, Adventist schools outperform the national average across all demographics. So what does that mean? It doesn't matter if a student is in a one-room school or in a multi-grade classroom and where they have several teachers, or if they're in a school like in Berrien Springs at Village of Ruth Murdoch where they have one teacher um, per grade, or if they're in a rural setting or urban or suburban area, it doesn't matter. Across all demographics, our students do better. Another news article appeared in the Los Angeles Times. It was similar. It was entitled, The Conversation Pursuing Successful Education Reform Might Mean Going the Way of the Adventist. As you know, education is expensive, but can we afford not to provide it? If we want to keep our kids in the church, if we want qualified leaders for our church, we need to prepare them. Our children need to know where they have come from and where they're headed. Education means a lot more than the here and now. It evolves eternity. When we consider the only things we can take to heaven are souls, doesn't it seem reasonable that we would want to invest in our children? Our homes, our cars, our clothes, all our material possessions are going to be consumed someday soon in a fire. Seems to me that our children should be one of our top priorities after our relationship with God and our spouse if we have one. If we don't invest in our children and lose them, whose fault will it be? And if we don't invest in them, the devil will. Counsels the teachers, parents, and students that found on page 165. It says, nothing is of greater importance than the education of our young people. The church should arouse and manifest a deep interest in this work. For now as never before, Satan and his host are determined to enlist the youth under the black banner. That leads to ruin and death. And it has never been more true than it is today. And this was written many, many years ago. When Christ comes again and asks, what did you do with my little ones? I want to say I invested my time, my energy, and money on them. And here they are, Lord. 
I don't want to say, I don't know, but here's my car and my house. Could you use them? Some churches say that they want to invest in evangelism, and that's a good thing, just like we just got done with Unlock Revelation. Unlock Revelation. But did you know that the largest evangelistic effort put on each year by the North American Division last 180 days, starts in August and continues through May? Each year when school starts, it's the beginning of a new evangelistic series. It's called Youth Evangelism. The evangelists in these series, or this series, are the teachers in our schools. They are the ministers in the classroom. They're preparing our children for the future work in our churches. In addition, these teachers are helping parents and church members with the responsibility of preparing our children for life today and, more importantly, for life eternal. Last year, we had 77 student um, baptisms across Michigan. And we're getting the results in for this year. We don't know what they are yet because reports are still coming in. So I'm excited to see how many students are baptized this year. And some of our adults may be working in the public school system, and you know they can do a great work for Christ there. They can be Jesus to those public school children. But generally speaking, Seventh-day Adventist children belong in Seventh-day Adventist schools. God commanded the Hebrews to teach their children his requirements and to make them acquainted with all dealings with their people. Further provisions were made for the instruction of the young by the establishment of the School of the Prophets. And then many years later, in 1872, Ellen White had her first detailed vision regarding Adventist education. The same year in Battle Creek, um, a school opened up. And today, if you'd look at the comprehensive index to the writings of Ellen G. White, you'd find 25 pages of references in regards to education and its importance. By 1900, there were 220 elementary schools established in North America. Today, our church is operating more than 7,900 schools worldwide with about 1.9 million students the second largest parochial school system on the planet. And then our own state of Michigan, we have 27 elementary schools. We have seven junior academies. Holland just this year, this coming school year, is going from an eighth grade school, or K-8 school, to a junior academy. They're adding grades 9 and 10. And then we have our four academies. We have Andrews, Battle Creek, and Grand Rapids, which are K-12 schools. And then we have Great, um, Great Lakes, which we're at right now, the conference boarding school. And then we're one of the fortunate states that have a university right in our backyard, Andrews University. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, it reads, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? We're going to skip down to verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. I believe that God is telling us to come out of Babylon. And that doesn't just mean coming out of the apostate churches. We need to protect our children. We need to take them out of schools and mix airs with schools that mix air with truth. And that includes both public and non-Adventist Christian schools. 
children as well as adults become easily confused when bombarded with messages of error intermingled with truth. So we need to put a hedge of protection around our kids because despite statements to the contrary, public schools do teach religion. They teach secular humanism and it's consistently woven into their curriculum. Now I'm gonna tell you a personal tragic story that just happened in my family. It involves um, my niece, Paige. I have three brothers. Two of them have children. My oldest brother, Ray, he's Catholic and his wife, and they raised um, their two kids, um, and they went through the Catholic school system. My brother, Mike, um, he has four children, had four children, and him and his wife believed that the public schools were good enough for his kids. They even moved to an area where they thought the public schools were really good. My three kids, our three children, were educated by the Adventist school system. My mother, my dad, Mark's parents, <laughs> our brothers and sisters often thought that we were very protective with our kids. They weren't allowed to go to homecoming dances. They didn't go to Friday and Saturday night basketball or football games. They didn't go to proms. They didn't go to sleepovers. Our children, our parents, and our siblings thought we were kind of deprived <laughs> as they were growing up. Now many years have gone by, and a tragedy takes place in my brother's home. His youngest daughter, which happens to be my parents' youngest granddaughter, seems to be depressed and angry all the time. And this goes on for several years. Then one day, Paige asks her mother, don't you wonder why I act the way I do? And her mom says, I ask myself this every day. What has happened to you? You used to be such a, a fun, happy little girl. What has happened? And then Paige reveals to her mom that she was raped when she was 16. She never told anyone. She tried to work through it by herself. And how did she do that? She started snitching, you know, maybe my mother had surgery, her other grandmother had surgery. So she started snitching pain pills. She became opiate addicted over time. Her parents were clueless. A few years pass and Paige is now 19 years old and she tells her parents she needs help. So her mom and dad are sitting there thinking, well, does she need money for gas? You know, what kind of help does she need? They don't they're, they're kind of clueless about this. So Paige tells her mom and dad that she needs to go to rehab and that she's now addicted to heroin. And, you know, like my, my brother and his wife are stunned, but um, Kathy's brother just happens to be the director of rehab for Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. So she calls him and he talks with Paige and he arranges for her to get into rehab. Paige was in rehab for six, six times in the past five years. This past May, or this past April, she relapsed. There was periods of times where she went a whole year without um, being addicted. She went from addictions to depression. I think they treated addictions. I don't know if they treated the depression. But anyway, so this past April, she relapsed. And instead of going back into rehab, she tried to detox herself. She died of a heroin overdose, April 26. She was only 24 years old. My brother and sister-in-law, 
as they went through this the last you know, five or six years, didn't tell anybody in the family by, beside her brother about Paige's addiction because Paige didn't want anybody to know. So we went to the funeral and nobody knew, we all knew that Paige died, but nobody knew why. So we get to the funeral and my sister-in-law um, invited all these high school friends of Paige's all our family is there. The place is packed. And uh, my sister-in-law gets up. It was a very different funeral. I've never been to one like this. And she, she said, you've probably been wondering what's been going on in the Nerva family. She goes, we've, been, we've had a secret for the last several years, and we haven't told a soul. And today we're going to tell you what went on. And then she went on to tell them about Paige's addiction and everything that happened. Well... After that, the priest got up and said um, the same week he had to do three more funerals for kids 24 years of age and younger of dying from heroin addictions. Mm -hmm. Since this is in the Down River area, Detroit area, since from January to that day, April 26th, end of April, there were 75 heroin overdoses. Not everyone died but there were 75 heroin overdoses. And this, there's an epidemic in the Down River area, and it's spreading across our state and spreading across our nation, too. So shouldn't we put a hedge of protection around our kids? Amen. Putting them in an environment that mixes air and truth only confuses them. I've gone over many school evaluations over our few years. Our students rank our schools, and one of the questions on the um, survey that students in grades five and above take when we do a school evaluation, ask about drug abuse. And I haven't yet found one of our Adventist schools where students are reporting um, drug use as a concern or a problem. So then I was talking to my daughter the other day, our youngest daughter. She went to Delphine Junior Academy. She graduated from Great Lakes. She went to Andrews University. She went to medical school at Loma Linda. So I was talking to her about it, and I, because she was telling me some other stories about people that she's been, she's a psychiatrist who she's been working with. So I asked her, so while you were going to our Adventist schools, tell me, what was your experience? And she told me all the way through school, all the way into medical school, there were two times, and I believe it happened in medical school, that somebody offered her alcohol. She said nobody's ever offered her drugs any time in her Adventist education, and that um, alcohol was offered two times, and that was in medical school. She said she didn't take it. <laughs> so with the changing landscapes, oh, why do I tell you this story? Because many parents think that public school is good enough for their children. Are they a safe place for our kids today? With the changing landscape of our public schools, the increased use of drug use, the increased acts of violence, oh, the LGBT problem going on. You know, boys and girls, I mean, one day he's a male and he feels like he's a female the next day and can go use this bathroom. Or the, I mean, things are getting really strange out there. Did you know, I mean, you, a person, a male or a female, they can take drugs, they can change their appearance, they can mutilate their genitalia, but they can't change their DNA. A male is always a male. A female is always a female. They can change their appearance, but they can't change what God made them. 
And then another thing going on in our um, public schools, you know, we have same-sex parents, and then our students, if you have one of our Adventist kids in a, there, and they're same-sex parents, it's just another acceptable alternative lifestyle, just another lie that's being taught to our kids. I just read an article in um, April 20th, 2016. It's from Education Week. It's entitled, <coughs> Teaching Evolution is Not About Changing Beliefs. It states that the evolutionary theory is a building block of our understanding of life as the best existing scientific explanation of the way our species came to be. Well, we know that's a lie. How evolution works is vital for all students to understand. Students should not have the right to opt out of learning about a central tenet of contemporary science. Students need to understand why scientists support this theory and the evidence which is based upon their beliefs. So this is, you know, this is what kids in the public school are taught. Our society and public schools are becoming confusing and chaotic. It's a real hindrance to our students, and they're no longer safe. So you're wondering, is there an environment that is safe and secure for my kids? And we believe that there is. The Seventh-day Adventist school system is a safe environment for your children. It could be the greatest investment that one could make for their children. And we believe, Jeremy and I believe, that it's too expensive if you don't do it. In Fundamentals of Christian Education on page 545, it reads, Gather your children into your houses. Gather them in from the classes who are voicing the words of Satan, who are disobeying the commandments of God. Doesn't that mean to take them out of the schools that don't honor all Ten Commandments? In conclusion, we, can, we must do all that we can to prepare our children for heaven. Providing them with a Seventh-day Adventist education is part of God's divine plan. The Seventh-day Adventist global system is a product of inspiration. As we all know, the time spent here on this earth is short, especially when we compare it to eternity. We need to separate ourselves from the worldly influences and teach our children and youth to be missionaries for Christ. We need to place our children in the best environment that will promote the values that will help, make them, help them make positive choices for Christ. The Seventh-day Adventist educational system was established to help us prepare our children for eternity. We can do everything right, and our children can still choose wrong. But God forbid that we give them the keys to drive down the devil's highway. We must educate our children so that we can come up to the gates of the city and say, Here I am, Lord, and the children that thou hast given me. We must not come up without our children to hear the words, Where is my flock? My little flock, that beautiful flock that I gave you, where are they? And we reply that they have been left to drift right into the world and they're unfitted for heaven. I don't want to be part of that group and I'm sure you don't want to be either. What we want is to fit our children for heaven so we can present that little flock to God and say, I have done my best. Here they are. So I just ask you that you please consider and pray about an Adventist education for your, your children 
Adventist schools provide Christ-centered, mission-driven education where quantity time is yielding quality time, where the ministers in the classroom are making use of teachable moments, preparing our kids for today and eternity. And then, just as a reminder for tomorrow, Jeremy back there, he's going to be talking about the three-legged school. He's going to be doing that on Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday, um, School Success by Judy Scholl, who's the teacher principal at Greater Lansing, will um, be giving parents tips on how to help their children be successful. And then on Friday, we have questions and answers. It's your turn. So if you have any questions about um, Adventist education, Come here prepared to ask. Well, shall we end with prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you um, for providing an Adventist education, a global system for our students around the world. We just pray for our parents as they make decisions this summer that they will consider where they're placing their children, that we need to put a hedge around them to keep them safe and, and to prepare them not only for life here, but for life eternal. So please bless them as each of us make decisions. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.